You're listening to RHR Talks, the podcast where the RHR team talks all things recruitment and advertising. We're going to be covering various topics on which we're regularly asked by candidates and hiring managers and offering our industry insight, which we hope you'll find useful, whether you're looking for that next opportunity or just to find the best talent. I'm Paul Walsh, one of the consultants at RHR. Each week, I'm going to be joined by my colleague and now podcast co-host, Tim McGuire. Tim and I are going to be talking with recruitment and advertising experts from various areas of our business. This week, Tim and I are joined in conversation with external guest Emily Hawkins Longley. We discuss her career and journey into the world of HR. You're listening to RHR Talks. Um, as always, my name is Paul. I'm one of the consultants here at RHR. Tim, I will give you the pleasure of being able to introduce yourself rather than me introduce you because you are back. You weren't on the I'm back. Taking a, taking a short sabbatical. But yes, I'm one of the consultants at RHR working alongside Paul. I've uh, been here for four years and uh, yeah, happy to be back. Fab. We've got a really exciting guest on today. So uh, like with Tim, Emily, I will let you introduce yourself. Okay, hi. Um, my name's Emily Hawkins Longley, um, and I am an HR professional. I've been in the HR profession for about 17 years, I think I worked out the other day. Wow. Quite scary. <laughs> 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 I thought it was going to be about nine, but <laughs> but no, for about 17 years, I think. Um, yeah, and just sort of been working in a various different companies you know, within the retail space, mm. um, and more recently within media. So, yeah, I've got a bit of an insight into those sorts of businesses. For 17 years in HR, what made you decide to pursue a career in HR? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I sort of fell into it. I mean, I started life as a, I started life, well, I started my, <laughs> my kind of career <laughs> okay. journey. I, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did the whole sort of art college route and uh, London College of Fashion and, and all of that stuff. Um, and then, I don't know, I decided that that was more of a hobby, really, that, that mm. you know, I, I liked the creative stuff, but I actually liked doing it on my terms. So, so I sort of gave up on that that idea um, and I decided that I just needed a job. So I, I, I started out as an office junior mm-hmm. um, working in facilities, actually, for a government department. Um, and whilst I was there, I worked quite closely with the HR team um, on all sorts of people issues. I mean, fairing things like someone who needed a desk fan from, you know, somebody that was like really ill and we needed to make adjustments for and, and things. Yeah. So I got quite interested in what they do. Um, so that was where I sort of got an idea as to what HR was about. Um, and I got a job working at Battersea Power Station on the, the redevelopment there. Oh, wow. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, it was. It was really interesting because, I, I, again, I started there, very, very junior position. Um, and then what happened was the HR manager went on maternity leave and the HR officer went back to Australia. And I was left the only person in HR um, and they knew at that point that they were going to sell the power station to a new company. So they didn't yeah. recruit anybody. And I remember this meeting where they said to me, we're, we're not going to replace the other people in HR. Are you all right to kind of keep things ticking along? And I was like, oh. right straight into the deep end, that is, yeah. And, and then the next meeting was, so um, we're going to sell the power station. You need to chupy everybody over to the new company. And then it's quite likely that there'll be redundancies. Are you happy to do that? And I went, 
yes and then I went back to my desk and I googled chupi because I didn't know what it meant (laughs) (laughs) that That is a sink or swim situation but sometimes it's the best way to to learn initially act act like you know what you're doing and then google it later I think that's a great life (laughs) but that that was where I was like I don't know what I'm doing so um and at that point I said to them I am happy to do these things, but I think I need a bit of like, you know, training or something. Um, and that's when I started studying my CIPD. Yeah. And I did uh, the, I did a certificate um, and then I went on to a postgrad and eventually, like years later, got a master's degree. But yeah, that was that was where I was like, OK, this is actually quite dangerous because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, so you're not having to Google stuff anymore as much. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, luckily, I think I... I think now I've encountered most scenarios that I sort of know what what you need to do. But yeah, back then it was it was quite scary. So yeah, that was a real kind of sink or swim time. And um, yes, but but I had to chupy everyone over to the new company and make everybody redundant, including myself. Which you know, wow, oh wow, that must have been a tough meeting. Yeah, (laughs) my letter was addressed to me from me. Wow, that is that is a unique situation, I'm sure. If you have any problems, just take it up with yourself, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird position to be in. But but yeah, it was it was good, but it, it really did sort of show me that there's so much to HR mm. that um you do need to kind of learn your stuff and you can't really just, you know, try and uh, blag your way through it. Like it's yeah, easy, sure. Isn't it? Um so after that, because I realized I didn't know what I was doing I thought right I need to study um and I also need to figure out what because there's so many aspects of HR I didn't really know what route I wanted to go down Mm -hmm. Uh, so I started doing these fixed term contracts which I would still recommend to anybody who wants to a career in in HR to have a go at doing some short fixed term contracts. So I was doing sort of six month contracts. Yeah. Um, I worked for the Arcadia Group. You know, I did, I did sort of Cineworld cinemas, sort of real sort of like a mixture of places. Um, and you know, again, retail I really like because of the pace, uh, and I, I quite like that sort of having to make quick decisions and stuff. Um, and even now, if I if I get a CV and it's somebody who's got a retail background, I'll always want to speak to them because I know that they've been through it you know (laughs) they've had a real good experience of of HR um so yeah I I just made the the conscious sort of decision to do these fixed term contracts to kind of build my experience so I did a bit of a period of time of just doing recruitment um and I did a period of time just doing employee relations so you know, dealing with disciplinaries and grievances on a, a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, ended up at Swarovski um, where I was there for a, a couple of years um, and doing a regional role sort of traveling throughout the country in Ireland um, I mean I did so much traveling the sort of traveling that now just seems ridiculous with Zoom and, and whatnot well that's really. okay with remote working um, I find that traveling might be I mean obviously there's going to be elements to it but the, some of the regional positions that we've recruited for in the past I mean people are living like three days in a hotel room and it just doesn't have to yeah. happen anymore but yeah I can imagine that's quite tough yeah I used to fly I mean I'd go up to Scotland I'd, I'd get like a really early flight fly up to Scotland um, arrange meetings near the airport, do as many meetings as I could do, and then fly back in the evening. Um, wow, that must yeah. have been hard after a while. 
yeah, it was really difficult. And then whilst I was there, I fell pregnant with my daughter. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, and and then I remember I was still flying, and then um, I was at the airport, and um, they wouldn't let me walk through the you know the scanner thing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I should be flying anymore <laughs> because I'm that but the, but the doctor was like it's fine um but yeah at that point I was like oh I don't know if this flying business is gonna work out for me now so yeah um, we had to recruit my maternity cover early because of the the traveling aspect that I just couldn't really do uh and that after that I was like how am I going to do this when I actually have this child <laughs> yeah so um that's when I made the decision not to return I didn't return after maternity purely because of of that traveling aspect which like you say now you just think you probably wouldn't be expected to to do quite so much yeah um, yeah and then, and then you know once you do have a child like the the things that you need from your job sort of change because your your job needs to fit in with your life a lot more yeah and uh and I again I had a go at doing some fixed term contracts because I quite liked quite liked the thing of going into a company um using your experience to sort of go oh you could do things this way and and quite quickly being able to make a, a bit of a difference um and then sort of leaving them to it and going off and doing something else yeah uh, and I also found that you've got more flexibility from those fixed term positions because they were kind of a bit like, oh, it's only a temporary thing, you know. She needs yeah. to go and do a drop-off or pick-up, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> right, it's, yeah. It's great exposure as well, isn't it? I think in terms of the brands that you can work for, um, a lot of candidates that I've worked with, I mean, I recruit quite heavily within the HR space and I think some people are a little bit initially quite adverse to it, but actually you're building your HR network up because all the people that you come into contact with and it helps people out a lot more perhaps when they are, you know, making moves because it's such a small world, especially if you look at an industry like retail, for example, um, everyone knows each other. It's the same in recruitment. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, I think it's quite beneficial to look at those fixed and contracts. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they are quite enjoyable and it's quite nice to, you know, you know that you've got an end date and often mm. it gets extended by a couple of months or something. Um, but you you know that you're working towards an end date. So everything that you're doing is sort of keeping in mind that you're, you're going to need to leave it in a, a good state at the end. Um, and it's quite a positive way to leave a job, not, you know, well, I found somewhere yeah. else I want to go on to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know what, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I quite enjoyed doing that. And like I said, it did offer me the, the flexibility um with the you know nursery drop off and pick up and whatnot yeah. uh, so yeah and then eventually um you know got made the move into media which was quite interesting um, that's an interesting that, I was that jump yeah that's uh, there was me and Tim were talking about this Tim and I were talking about this before and it, it's something that a lot of people who perhaps are predominantly retail focused they they do look to expand into the markets how, like Tim just said how did you find that transition it was it was interesting I think the, the thing is when you've worked in retail and you're used to that fast pace I, I think that the adjustment is when you go I mean I had a did a stint at a financial services company and I absolutely hated it because everything was so much slower right and you you have to follow they they're very into sort of process I mean obviously you need to have processes but um 
they're very sort of regimented processes mm-hmm. so when you're in retail you're always thinking of like these shades of gray that you need to navigate and you know I, I used to always say to my teams you know you think about the outcome that you want to achieve and then let's work backwards from there and see sort of how we get there yeah Whereas in a in a more sort of regimented environment you would it doesn't matter what the outcome is that you you're looking for you just follow the process and then see what happens um right but then you almost lose sight of what your original goal was yeah yeah um and sometimes it's a bit of a waste of energy you know if you're say you're doing a redundancy and you know that that put you're going through the, the motions with somebody and they're kind of going oh i'm fine like i've you know i'm quite happy to leave actually mm. whereas in a in a more regimented environment you go, well we have to have another meeting and we have to do you know. right whereas um in the, the slightly more sort of fast-paced environment she'd be like well there's no point in us having another meeting if you're happy I'm just going to write you a letter that says that you know you wanted to draw it to a close early blah 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 so yeah I I, I find um but media is quite similar like they don't want to mess around it you mm. people chase you on things so you you have do have that fast pace again um, and I guess it depends on the sort of environment. If you're working for, for example, the magazines, um, everything's on a monthly cycle. So, um, you know, they have busy times. Um, they have times where they, they have downtime, which makes you busier because whenever they have downtime, they have time to think about all the issues and things that they want help with. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, you're, you're sort of on this this cycle with them. Um and yeah, if they if an editor of a magazine wants an answer to something, you don't leave them waiting. You, you know that you you need to get back to them pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so you still got that sort of like being on edge a little bit most of the time when you're sort of like right, you need to to really think about what I'm doing, how am I going to manage my time, what's the priority of the day, and and that sort of thing. So I guess the the transition into media wasn't quite so bad because it it was a similar pace I'd say to retail in that that regard. Yeah. But um, you don't have the same sort of level of employee relations things that you might do in, in a, a retail environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you might get, I don't know, a disciplinary sort of once every six months or something. Um, but when big things happen, not when things happen, they are big, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. I can imagine. If it's, if it's, if it's going to kick off, it, it kicks off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> whereas in retail it might be sort of more sort of minor things sort of going yeah. up, like ticking along yeah um, so yeah I, I found that quite interesting in the, the sort of the people working in media are there for their career you know it's a definite um, decision to be there and to build their career uh, so you get people staying in their roles for longer periods of time um, than you might do within retail yeah. yeah. For those people who don't know as well, it might be worth just highlighting, you know, those media businesses that you work for, because they are pretty impressive. Um, talk, talk about some of the companies that you've worked for on the media side. Yeah, so I've worked for, um, I work for Hearst magazines, um, looking after their luxury titles and their weekly titles. Um, I've worked for uh, Read Business Information, looking after their sort of uh, B2B titles. Um, and I also had... Uh, new scientist titles like that um, and then more recently I worked for Conde Nast where I pretty much focused again on the luxury side um, but uh, Vogue was sort of my biggest uh, title and GQ wow um, and I also looked after the digital team um, which was very interesting 
but yeah, they, um, and then more recently worked work for advertising agencies, MNC Saatchi, um, and at the moment I'm doing a, a contract role at Mother. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say Conan Ast, I was there for a, a big chunk of time, um, absolutely loved working there. Um, and it was a bit of a, a story really, because I wrote to Vogue when I was 14. Right. Uh, wow. Yeah. And I said, this is when I was, I was, you know, thinking about my fashion route. Um, and I, I said, uh, you know, could I come and do work experience for you? I'll do anything that you want me to. You know? Yeah. I'll make yeah. coffee. Like, yeah, exactly. And, um, and I got a reply, which I didn't, I didn't actually wow. get a reply. And I, I had this letter and it was just like amazing that I got, I mean, they turned me down, but I mean, I got a reply, <laughs> which was just like amazing. But I was too young because you, know, you had to be 18. To, of course. So, but the fact that I got this reply, which I just thought was awesome. And um, I got a call from a recruiter saying, I've got this job, it's in um, magazines. And I just said, is it Condé Nast? And they said, oh, uh, yes, it is. And I was like, right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. coming full circle <laughs> did you keep I, that letter by any chance that been that oh, been quirky on your first day to show that no do you know what I couldn't find it but the the woman that wrote me the, that signed the letter was oh, yeah. still working there um and I met her sort of a couple of weeks in and I said to her um you know I have to tell you that I, I wrote to Vogue when I was 14 and that's amazing I think you replied and she went oh did I oh good for me that I replied to you thank god I replied (laughs) 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 because here we are you know I was then sort of you know helping her with with um quite high level issues at Vogue and and it was just amazing to sort of end up there it was yeah Yeah. and and I I ended up there so yeah it was quite quite amazing and um yeah she she and I got on quite well and I had to work with her quite closely so yeah yeah quite quite an awesome story um to to actually be there in the end definitely it's it's crazy that it came full circle because um I can imagine they must get loads of letters like that yeah they do and they do try well they did sort of try and respond to to as many as they can and and I said to them like I would really encourage you to do that because you know you don't know where these people are going to end up and yeah um, case in point with yourself yeah yeah as someone said to me actually when I was at the start of of my career as a very senior person um gave me some feedback and and I said to him I was like you know why are you you don't, you don't need to give me this feedback. You're thinking he was a CEO. And he went, look, um, I learned a long time ago that you have to be, you have to treat those people that you meet on your way up very well because you don't know if you will meet them again on your way down. <laughs> <laughs> but I can imagine a lot of people forget that as well. So it's, it's really good when you do come across people who who would give you that, that time. What about, um, I, I was quite keen to find out a little bit more about some of the more strategic HR highlights, obviously being in a generalist position, looking at you know recruitment, ER and, and L&D and all of that side of things. But what about some of the sort of key issues? I mean, I'm sure you know where they are, like gender pay gap, diversity, well-being. Um, have you had much involvement in, in that area of HR? Yeah, of course. I mean, particularly well-being during the pandemic. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's been um, really difficult for a lot of people. Um, but I guess the, the thing that... Oh, one of the major things that I've learned, particularly with diversity and inclusion, when again when I was at, at Vogue, um, we whilst I was there, Alex Shulman left as editor, and, and Edward Enfield, um joined the title as editor. And 
the transformation in the title, like literally overnight, um, was amazing. Um, I mean, and, and Alex actually said when she left, you know, I've had my Vogue and, and Edward will have his. And that was really, I mean, of course, but when you think about any business where you have a change in leadership, you automatically sort of have a, a shift in, a slight shift in sort of cultural direction, I think. Yeah. Vision, yeah, I bet. Yeah, and, uh, but, it, but I guess it's heightened in somewhere like Vogue where, um, you know, it's somebody's background and, and differences, I guess, are, are, are very uh, much brought to the fore with the, the direction they want to take the title in. And um, he had a different type of, of person sort of applying for roles. It just seemed to make the title a bit more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of taught me a lesson in diversity and inclusion in that you can have the policies in place. You can like do the awareness events and everything. But if your leadership team doesn't really reflect the people that you're trying to attract, they if they can't see somebody that's a bit like themselves there, then, you know, why would it doesn't almost really, just for show? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you can talk about it all you, you like, but, you know, it, it, it had that had such a big impact, but also not just because of like the way that that he is, but it's kind of the way that he would talk to people um, taught me something because he would make you feel like you know, he's giving you his full attention. Doesn't matter that you're from HR yeah. and nobody knows who you are outside of you know, Condé Nast. Um, he, I remember, I was having a cup of tea with him, and um, his PA like knocked on the door and said, um, "Oh, Manalo's outside," and I was like. Manalo, like the shoe guy. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And he was like, yeah, tell him I'll be like 10 minutes. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Like, I'll go. I'll, absolutely, I'll go. He was like, no, no, no. We were in the middle of talking about something. I was like, wow. okay. Um, and, and, but that just that sort of giving someone your time and making them feel like they're as important as anybody else for me, that is the definition of, of diversity, is that that ability to talk to people of all levels about mm. all sorts of things. Um, and he's got that, which I, I think make, means more than, than anything else. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I, I've tried to sort of carry that through with, with the other things I've done at MNC Saatchi and, um, and now at Mother, sort of looking at your policies and things and thinking about does do your policies make somebody feel like you understand them? You know, that thing of I'm on your level and I I get what you're going through or, you know, so it's, for me, it's sort of thinking about that in terms of the language that you use and when you're sending out emails and um, it sort of helped shift my, my perspective a bit. Um, So there there was that. And then um, I think I told you guys, I I also do um, work with victim support. Yes. Um, yes. which sort of has really helped my view of the world, I guess, that you, know, you, you talk to people from all sorts of different places. Those people have no idea who I am. To them, I'm just Emily from Victim Support. They don't know that, you know, an HR director or whatever. Yeah. Um, so to, to them, I'm just supporting them and I could be anybody in the world. Um, and they, you, you have a different sort of conversation um, and I have to, part of my job is to help them through whatever trauma that they've been through. And, um, yeah, so talking to people in that way has really helped sort of me think about 
how you support people and these well-being initiatives and what is actually going to be useful to people yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah so it's it's just yeah that, that whole sort of diversity of perspective I guess I think is really key um for HR professionals and yeah. um, just out of curiosity how does it work being a support volunteer victim support just in case anyone who's listening would be yeah. interested in, in doing it how does it work in terms of registering and and when you work or when you pick the calls yeah, well, I, I looked it up and I found, you know, they, they happen to be sort of, well, I think they were always looking for people, to, to be honest, to help. Sure. Um, and I'm sure if you just did a Google search, you'd find the the sort of local support uh, within your area and you could contact them and, and see what they might have available. So I, I've i committed to doing three hours a week, which I can do during lunch times. And, and working from home is easier, definitely, because... Yeah. I can I can do it sort of around other things sure. um but the the and the training took a while but it's all at the moment it's all online so it's quite easy to to do it um you have, to have a lot of check-ins with your sort of support manager and uh, just check that you know you, you do you're doing okay because you're dealing with some quite heavy stuff uh, and I I trained to do um supporting serious crime first and then I've gone on to do training on uh, stalking, support and domestic abuse. And the next thing I'm going to be trained to do is serious sexual violence. So it sort of, it gets heavier, I guess. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Uh, and you have to be comfortable to, to sort of support those people. But yeah, the and, and a lot of the time you you, you you work with them on we call it sort of coping and recovery so and I, I've tried to bring that into some of the well-being initiatives that I've been doing so mm-hmm. around the pandemic this idea of at the moment we are coping with what's going on and there will I believe there will be a period of time where we are there, then recovering from yeah what um so it's yeah very interesting and you work with somebody on a, a support plan for them um you check in on them we've got certain questions that you have to ask them every couple of weeks uh and yeah for domestic abuse you put together sort of safety plans and whatnot but a lot of the time it's a a kind of an hour-long conversation with someone to give them a bit of an outlet uh, mm-hmm. about what's happened to them and lots of the things that have happened to them the way that they feel about it is completely normal and you're just reassuring them that you know time will will help and it you'll feel a bit better as time goes on and and that sort of thing so it's 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 very interesting and it does sort of give you that sense of oh I've done something really positive um, yeah people which I, I would really encourage anybody that can do that sort of volunteering if you if you feel that you've got you know the capacity to do it and you want to do it then definitely I'd recommend it yeah I can imagine your line of work as well you know like you just mentioned before, linking into that whole well-being piece and, and and actually taking a big learn from it, as well as obviously getting the reward of being able to give back. And just speaking of sort of learns, um, I, I have asked this question to a few people that we've we've had on the podcast, and it's just interesting to know what you've really taken away from, I keep saying the last 12 months, but actually my concept of time is not that great because it feels, <laughs> I feel like I don't know what year it is anymore. Um, but, you know, with the pandemic, and obviously it's been affected people as well as affected everyone and in so many different ways. What's been your biggest learn that you've taken in terms of perhaps your career and your personal life as well? Yeah, I think, well, I've got several children um, now and, um, 
yeah, it's it's during the the first lockdown with the novelty of it and it being summer. Yeah, it was the sure. and and doing sort of homeschooling and working, but. Yeah, I was doing some quite tough meetings during that time. I'm sure lots of other HR professionals can relate to this, but you're doing Zoom sort of furlough meetings and, and whatnot. And it's um it was it was hard and it really makes you kind of rethink what you're doing and how you're doing things, I think. Um and I said to someone I had a bit of an epiphany halfway through the pandemic where I just thought about all of those people that where I declined been working with managers to decline flexible working requests where we said oh no you know this role is definitely 100% in the office you couldn't possibly have a day at home yeah and, and now here we are we're like oh actually you know. <laughs> I think everyone's everyone's mind on working from home and flexi kind of hours it's just changed the the whole game hasn't it compared to what it was like a year year and a half ago yeah, absolutely. And and also sort of the, the balance of, um, you know, I, I've been doing things like the, the school pickup, which I never used to do. Yeah. So yeah. that, and realising how short the school day actually is and how long that time was that she was with a childminder until I would pick her up. Like, I, I didn't actually have any concept of that before now. Yeah, wow. Um, because when you're in the office, you know, you'd have a meet. You'd normally have meetings between the hours of like two and five. Sure. Uh, and and the, you know the the day would go quite quickly. And uh, yeah, just th- so things like that has made me sort of really reassess the amount of time that I think I want to spend with the children, um, and you know the, that balance between work and and home life. And I think a lot of people have been thinking about that. Mm. Uh, but but also it has to, taught me that I don't think I could have been a stay at home mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it was it was hard, like you know, keeping them entertained and and whatnot. Um, I mean, it's I, I you know total respect for people that that do take a, a break and and do the full time childcare because it, it is hard work. It's a full time job. Yeah, absolutely. With no breaks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it, it's. I think a lot of people will be looking for that balance. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think that businesses will need to think really seriously think about respecting that a lot more, because I think in the past we were sort of businesses were kind of like, well, this is your job, and I want your full focus on your job. Mm-hmm. And, um, people have so many other things going on in their their own lives that need attention and it's becoming almost uh i mean we're definitely finding that one of the first questions it's not just about salary and package and location it's do they offer flexible working um actually most businesses are are open to it now but if they don't then that's becoming a caveat as to whether someone wants to move forward with it so as you just mentioned there you know i know i even just little things like if you work from home because we do flexible working so you know we can work from home a couple of days a week and just it sounds silly but being able to put a wash on or like just being able to like to, to put something in the slow cooker and like leave it or whatever it may be and I think it's just those small lifestyle changes that make all the difference and not having to get on the tube I mean my commute's only 45 minutes door to door but actually you think two days a week across the month across the year that's it's mm-hmm. a long long period of time um yeah Looking at the recruitment side of things, because obviously, you know, we, we were recruiters. So it's really interesting to find out about how you go about hiring the right people for your teams or perhaps how you've done that previously. Yeah, sure. I mean, it 
obviously you, know, you, you um, advertise a job and you get a load of CVs. Yeah. And if I if I advertised a job at uh, Conan Nast, for example, I'd get hundreds of CVs over the weekend. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got to sort through them. <laughs> you've got to sort them. And uh, yeah, so normally you would have you know fairly decent sort of applicant tracking system that you can try and sort of filter things through. And um, I got really keen to make sure that we always ask a question on, um, okay. on any applications. And it could be anything, but it was just the to get somebody to really think and to write something rather than just just click, click apply CV. click apply yeah. click apply yeah yeah and that, <laughs> that has changed that the recruitment um applying in because cover letters used to be a big thing as well and you yeah. used to put so much time and effort into a, an application whereas now easy apply it just takes two seconds yeah but that that then means that you do as a as somebody who's recruiting you get hundreds of cvs and then you have to click into each thing and and see yeah well, wasn't necessarily me, but some somebody would have to like click into them and and check through them, and and it's just a long old job. So, um, I quite like posing a question and just even just seeing how long that paragraph is. Yeah. Know, to see how much effort somebody's put in, and it also gives somebody who's really really keen that opportunity to show sure. you that they're yeah. keen. Um, so I would say if they, if you ever apply for a job and they they pose a question, please just take a minute to think about it because that's your your opportunity to sort of show show how keen you are. So yeah, I'd I'd always do that, and then um, I, obviously I, I would be looking for certain things on a CV. Like I said earlier, retail experience I think is amazing, and I encourage any sort of junior person within my team if they if they don't have much HR experience, I'd always say you know go and do a stint somewhere. Um, in retail because you will get a complete overview of all the things that can happen particularly from an employee relations perspective yes I find that um, if you go into say media you're not getting as much exposure to those employee relations things as you might do if you're in retail so I would I would encourage people to have had that on their CV Um, yeah, and I, I would just say, you know, structure your CV. I, I, was, I don't know if this is still a thing, but I was told a while back that if you put the thing that you're most wanting somebody to read, I think it's like a third of the way down a page, that's where their eyes automatically go. Psychology of it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> if, they, yeah. if someone only looks at CV for 10 seconds, the first thing they're going to do is quarter way off the page, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I always say to people, do that. And um, and I, now I'm quite conscious when I get a CV, I was like, oh, did I look a third of the way down? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did a we did an episode. I think one of our first episodes covered CV writing because it was right in the middle of the pandemic where there was obviously a lot of people applying. And uh, uh, we talked about a couple of things. One of the most frustrating things, and this happens, people don't put their contact details on the CV. I had an amazing CV a few weeks ago wanted to call them but there was no email address or phone number i was like no it's just a big tease <laughs> yeah but is this person real <laughs> yeah. and and putting date of birth i found a lot of people started to put date of birth back on their cv recently. yeah i think that's um i mean it's not it's, i mean it's not a necessity at all really is it i think some people perhaps no. are more conscious around um you know um I guess, yeah, discrimination on on ages and bites. I I don't really, I think that's a very old school thing to have to include on a CV. 
And that's the problem with everything online is that if one person posts it, even if it's not correct, it, it just gets out into the ether and everyone thinks it is. And yeah, that I've seen a lot of pictures go onto CVs again recently, which is definitely uh, something that isn't necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think it's necessary. We even tried um, at MSC Saatchi, we looked at uh, blind CVs. So yes. you know, taking out names and things yeah unconscious bias yeah yeah but what i found was if you're still advertising the jobs in the same place you're still getting the same sorts of people yeah yes that's very true it's more about making a bit of an effort to to think about where you're you're advertising those roles and and where where you sort of want to target them i guess yeah but yeah i mean i i would say to anyone really think about your cv and and the other thing i one of my bugbears is check the grammar and spelling on the cv yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it's, it's so easily missed but it's so important especially I, what's more ironic is bless them, when someone puts attention to detail as one of their skills <laughs> yeah. but attention is spelt wrong and you just yeah. think to yourself oh no i know i know and it, you know just get somebody the else irony you know get get another pair of eyes on it yes and i i i, I am not the best speller uh, at all and often even if i have to am writing a big email or a proposal i always actually find enough send it to paul because sometimes it, just having a second pair of eyes makes all the difference yeah, yeah. what what, uh, what career advice do you would you give somebody looking to explore hr and i'll give a bit of context around that because it, as, as tim will, will i imagine echo i speak to a lot of people who want to get into hr um and I think yeah. perhaps in retail, it might be that mentality of, of they've perhaps like the people element to it, but perhaps not always understanding what the role actually entails or even how to go about making that transition. So what advice would you give? Yeah, so the, the entry level positions in HR are always very admin heavy. Um, so you're always, if you, you're looking at a very junior position and you're thinking, yeah, they don't necessarily have needed to have had HR experience, um, you'd be looking for somebody who's very organized and you know that attention to detail and managing data um, managing sensitive data um, is, is really key so I'd say you know if you've got um, really good sort of IT skills and, and that sort of thing that's really important because a junior level um, HR position is is going to be doing letters and you know putting people on the HR system and yeah be doing note taking in the meeting and, and that sort of thing um and i think i remember when i when i had my entry level roles that it was very admin heavy and i just remember thinking it's going to be forever until i can get do some fun stuff um <laughs> but but what i've learned with my teams is that um those junior people you can bring them into you can get them involved to, with some of the sort of juicy things that are going on because they can come and sit and they can shadow you and they can take notes and things. So if you do end up in a junior position, just put yourself out there and say, like if ever you're doing a, a grievance or you know disciplinary or redundancy or something, I'd love to help you by taking notes or could you just talk through the case with me? Um, because that's what I used to do with, with my guys is just be like, right, so this this is happening. And I try and make it sound <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, this is, these are the things you need to think about and 
you know, doing it, for example, Tupi is something, like I said, it, it doesn't come up very often. So when it does come up, if you do, if you're a junior member of staff and you hear these things that you haven't heard before, just make inquiries about them so that you can start to learn it. Because things like Tupi experience is quite rare. So if I ever saw a sort of a junior HR person who had Tupi experience, I'd really want to snap them up. But yeah. even if it were just like assisted on, on Tupi of... Or awareness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it would really sort of stand out as something that, you know, I, I think is quite important to have, have learned. So, yeah, I'd just say, you know, the, the admin side you've got to expect, but um, you can get yourselves involved in other things if you, you're willing to sort of put yourself out there a little bit and say, oh, oh that sounds interesting. I'd love to help you. Yeah, great. Because what, what's the biggest misconception, would you say? Because it's HR is such a broad title and there's so many elements to it. And when people want to get involved in it, they might not. Would it be the admin side, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think I when I speak to people coming for those junior positions, they'll say, I'll say, so what, what's attracted you to HR? And they will all say, I love working with people and you know I just love you know the interaction with people and I'll be like you might yeah. just be sitting there writing <laughs> letters <laughs> you, you, not a lot of interaction you, you I hope you like writing yeah yeah you but you you might eventually get to have some meetings with with people but you're not going to be doing some heavy sort of meetings and things um, so I think it's just sort of managing that expectation and it's great that people you know, want a career yeah. helping people um, but you also have to understand with HR, there, there's some sides that, that aren't very nice to it too. You know, that if you've got to do redundancies, um, which unfortunately in any HR department is a thing that happens fairly regularly for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, that can be quite tough. So yeah. you, and, and you might, you deal with some of the tougher things that happen to employees during their time at work, you know, you've had um, people that have had cancer, you've got people that suffer bereavements and, um, and then you, but then you've got the, uh, the side of people having babies and, and everything. So you, you've got to really think about all the different things that might happen during someone's yeah. life. Yeah. It's quite likely to be getting involved in them. So, yeah, I think it is a great profession to get into if you like people um but you've got to understand it it's got so many different aspects to it and if you're going to a junior position it's going to be fairly admin heavy. Yeah, yeah yeah and you're not going to get to pick and choose I guess what you have to deal with especially within that function of a business um I guess a good place to yeah. sort of sort of round up the conversation on, on, on a real positive note is you know what would you say has been the biggest success of your career is there anything that jumps to oh. mind or, or a few top liners. Yeah, top, liners, if you don't yeah. have to give us one. I have to say, like, when I was at Condé Nast, when I first started, I thought, um, you know, the, the editors obviously were all sort of celebrities almost in their own right. And um, I didn't get to talk to a, a lot of them sort of first off. And um, I guess with HR, one of the things I've learned is that you have to gain the respect of people um, in order for them to let you in and and let the, for them to let you help them. Um, and the only way that you can really do that is by proving that you kind of know what you're doing. So I 
I learned fairly early on um, that, you know, if if someone wants to do something that's really tough or that they don't have to do it, if you can be the person that steps in there and talks through a strategy on how to how to resolve an issue and they see you as this confidant that can really help them, then they start to get you involved in all sorts of different things and and your relationship becomes quite interesting. Um, and I definitely felt that. I mean, at, at GQ, I'm sure Dylan wouldn't mind me saying this, but he he could be quite tough sometimes. And um, I would you know, have meetings with him, and I'd be like, "Oh, why you? Why do you want to do that?" And and and, and, and eventually, we were able to sort of build this rapport where I was able to work quite closely with him on things. Um, and you know, trying I was trying to get GQ to to bring in sort of different sorts of people within the workplace shadowing schemes. Um, and we did things like I worked with the Prince's Trust, and I got the, the managing editor to um, come with me to uh, interview some young people that were, were struggling to look for work. And we did this session with the Prince's Amazing. Trust where, yeah, it was awesome. And we, we did these sort of interview techniques with them and um, and just simple things like how to shake hands and, and stuff. Yeah, like that, yeah. Which, key stuff. Yeah. yeah, which, I mean, they were all like, oh, my God, you know, you've got people from GQ here, like, working with us. And, um, and I turned around and I saw, saw the managing editor, like, dishing out his card to people. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's what we were supposed to do he's <laughs> <laughs> my direct number <laughs> yeah. but he was like oh, no, some of these people are great like they could definitely come and do work workplace shadowing with us so that that was amazing because he, he wouldn't have had access to those people before because they some of those people wouldn't have even thought to apply because they just you know if you you don't feel like you, you're going to you know, be the type of person that, that will go there so that was great to open their eyes up to to that and then um the next GQ awards that I went to they actually gave a, an award to um Prince Charles for his work with the Prince's Trust and I was wow. like, oh. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> amazing so again like that thing of like HR sometimes you feel like you you know you're in the background sort of doing things with people but it does sort of work its way through to the wider business and yeah, you know yeah. that the result sometimes is a lot bigger than you expect it to be um so that was great but yeah and I, I guess working closely with those people was was amazing but then sort of bringing that into my role at MNC Saatchi where I was able to really transform some of the policy work you know the strategy around diversity inclusion um particularly the well-being piece of over the pandemic which was really tricky um Mm. during that time but um I guess one of the things that I really enjoyed about my time at MNC Saatchi was reviewing the policies changing all the language um so that it's more inclusive uh introduced like a domestic abuse policy um menopause all of those sorts of things uh, and it really helped you could sort of feel the shift in culture there to to feel like things were a lot more inclusive um and I introduced a uh, kind of a, a misconduct reporting app called vault which was a way that employees could uh raise concerns and things anonymously oh wow uh, which was amazing because it just meant that there was this mechanism there that if people did have issues, they could tell you. Uh, but I remember when I, I said I wanted to do it, there was a bit of nervousness, like, oh, what are people going to use this for? And I was like, and no. going to come out more importantly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think whenever you think about doing things like that, that is like the thing, like, oh, are we about to realise that there's all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. yeah. Um, it's got to be but- done. Yeah, but but you but I said like the thing is you got to show that the company's brave enough to 
hear it you know whatever is going on I want to hear it and actually so we launched this app and we all sort of like braced ourselves and then the the first thing that came through was someone asking for the maternity policy (laughs) 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 when you read that there was a sigh of relief I was like, oh, that's quite nice, actually. Um, yeah, fine. So, yeah, it was, um, it was, but, but to be able to say as a business, like, we are open to hearing what's going on. So, yeah, so he, that is powerful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, brilliant, um, brilliant. Well, look, all I can say is, you know, thank you very much for being on. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, thank you, Emily. I, is, is there anything that you want to add that you feel like you haven't had the opportunity to add? That's such an interview question. I sorry about that. <laughs> oh I think I think for me I think you know if you're if you are interested in all aspects of of people and and the very interesting things that that happen when you work with people then I think HR is like a brilliant career for you and I think you know I I do the the victim support stuff because I am so fascinated in the things that go on with people and and how we can all help each other and I, I kind of feel like you know my role within the HR space is to I I want people to enjoy their time at work I think that's like my ultimate aim in life I guess is that I want people to enjoy their time at work and you know have meaningful careers and and whatnot and uh, and I guess if that's that resonates with you that you you feel like you'd like to do something similar then I'd just say like you know HR might be a good good thing for you to consider if, if you thought about it before you've been listening to RHR Talks In order to keep updated on future episodes, make sure to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The best way to be kept up to date on vacancies and content would be to follow RHR on LinkedIn and register via our website at www.rhr.co.uk. If you're looking to hire and are interested in finding out more about all of the recruitment and advertising services we offer, then do reach out directly to any of our consultants or call 0207 432 8888.